Hi everyone and welcome back to the Making Milestone podcast. Today's podcast is going to kind of be like a mishmash of a bunch of different topics because I think a lot of the issues that I see in the horse world extend far outside of the horse world and the reason why we see certain welfare problems are just because of certain things that we've normalized in our everyday society. So while some people might think that the topics I'm going to bring up are unrelated, please bear with me because I think that there is a certain level of relation whether people are ready to admit it or not. I apologize for how all over the place my podcast has been so far. Um, This fall has just been kind of a mess, uh, mental health wise and also just like outside circumstance wise and Obviously, also on a world scale, there's some pretty awful things going on in the world right now. So it's just been really hard to kind of motivate myself to do things that I found easier to get done before. So I apologize in advance for that because my podcast general like tone and personality and attitude has probably changed a little bit over the last few months. And I'm sorry for that. But yeah, hopefully things will get on track more. Before we jump into it, since I don't have podcast sponsors, I just want to plug myself. For anyone who's interested in supporting the podcast and my other work, you can do so by subscribing to my Patreon channel for as little as a dollar a month. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash s-d-equus, s-d-e-q-u-u-s. And if you pick a higher tier, you can also access training help and more. But regardless of what tier you're on, even if you're only paying a dollar a month, you get to participate in Q&As and see certain behind the scenes stuff. So still worthwhile and every dollar counts like it adds up uh the more people who support things so i really appreciate it if you don't want to do a subscription service i also have a bunch of webinars on my main website if you're looking for training help there that's milestoneequestrian.ca and you can head to the shop page there and look at all the training webinars and discussions that i have done there i recently published a stress behavior one where we focus on the eye and discuss that so you can check that all out on my website as well And lastly, I have a shop page where I sell equestrian apparel, bridles, and I also just released a leather neck rope. Uh, Those are almost sold out. So for anyone who is interested in one, I highly recommend ordering ASAP because they're going to end up selling out before the holidays and we will not be able to restock them until after the holiday rush, which will probably be later in January or February. So if you don't want to miss out, I recommend ordering them in ASAP. Same with all of our clearance items. Once they're sold out, they're not coming back. And there's also a bunch of bridles on sale and whatnot. And that's immensely appreciated because this has been a very rough fall. Uh, If you didn't listen to my last podcast, my dog Phoebe needed TPLO surgery because she tore her cruciate ligament. And um, unfortunately for her, she had two knees that were not great. She has hip dysplasia, so that also doesn't help. But her worst of the two knees wasn't actually the one that tore first. It was her better knee, and I think it's because she was putting more weight on it. Um, So unfortunately, she tore the better one, and then as soon as she started to weight her bad knee more, she also tore that one, so she tore both. We've only gotten the one repaired so far. I had the surgeon choose which one they thought was more damaged at the time, which was her right knee. Uh, So she's had that done, and she's doing much, much better, but it was just horrible because when she tore both, she could not stand, and she was just 
not comfortable and it was just a mess but she's doing a lot better now but obviously surgery for that is not cheap um so but the animals always come first so anyways i'm trying to clear out as much product as i can leading up to the holidays and whatnot to try to catch up after the financial hits that i've taken over the last little while because no matter how much you try to prepare and save a five thousand dollar surgical bill for a dog is not fun and also the truck filled my truck transmission blew i'm still mad about this i've brought this up so many times because i'm just so choked about it because my truck is a 2018 and it should not have happened but it did um good news is that it's warranted for three years now but that was like a six thousand dollar fix which is absurd and shouldn't have happened for a truck that new but anyways i'll stop being salty and we'll just jump into the discussion what I want to discuss today in the podcast is disconnection and how I think it's a disease that is damaging society both in and out of the horse world. I think disconnection is one of the primary reasons behind people using such harsh training methods and training equipment. They disconnect from the horse to an extent where they can separate themselves from how their equipment and their training methods actually feel to the horse. So for example, people using really harsh bits or people riding in hyperflexion, they disconnect themselves from the horse's experience and they kind of rewrite what the experience actually is in their head. So while they're actively causing a horse stress and pain, they're gonna tell themselves that that's not the case. And it's a form of disconnection in my opinion because they're disconnecting from the reality of the situation and separating themselves so far from their actions and the choices that they make for their horses that they are in complete denial about the fact that it could cause harm because um the reason i say this is that stuff like for example like using a lip chain on a horse or twitching a horse it really shouldn't be up for debate that these things cause pain because even just logically if you talk about the human experience and if you were to put a chain against your gums and have someone pull on it it's not going to be comfortable and it's even less comfortable when you're not the one in control of the extent of that pain and even when you try to say how much pain you're in it's ignored so it's compounded by the fact that the horse doesn't have a choice in that situation and before people try to claim that that comparison is anthropomorphic the reason why i'm drawing that analogy is because mammals have very similar structures uh, the way that their systems work is quite similar and realistically there's no reason to believe that horses wouldn't be hurt by a gum chain for example because we know they have nerves in that area and these are things that we shouldn't really need to study to prove to people that they cause pain but people use the lack of definitive proof where a study is like this definitely causes pain they use that as a reason to deflect from their actions and justify their actions even though you really shouldn't need a study to say that like you shouldn't need a study to say like oh if you hit an animal with a car it's going to hurt them you know like there's certain things that are just clearly obvious and it's so frustrating to see people disconnecting themselves from the reality of the situation and trying to make excuses for actions that should at face value be clearly seen. So I'm not discounting the fact that a twitch might be needed for vet procedures sometimes, but you can use something out of necessity in the moment and be like, this is the lesser of the two evils, the horse needs medical care, while understanding its function and how it works. and 
with these two things in particular, people will try to claim that it doesn't hurt because they'll talk about the release of endorphins, which shows a fundamental misunderstanding of how the body works. Because while there might not be enough specific studies on horses and how they release endorphins in response to those exact tools, what we do know about mammals in general is that endorphins are released in times of pain and discomfort. Like, for example, when someone is giving birth, their body releases endorphins. That doesn't mean that birth is not painful, and I'm pretty sure no one would try to argue that birth is fun and pleasurable, simply because the body releases endorphins. So, what I find is that people will cherry-pick the information that supports their belief system and weaponize that information to justify their actions, but any information that conflicts with it, they kind of just more or less ignore. And that's why I think it comes down to disconnection, because if you were connected with the animal in the way that you need to be, and in a way that is like fully empathetic, it would be way harder to disconnect yourself from your actions to the point of justifying that type of mistreatment. And again, I'm not saying that all uses of lip chains or twitches are inherently bad, because there's situations where the horse's behavior at a certain time might be out of control of the handler and they might need to temporarily use one of those band-aids in a time of necessity for safety for both the horse and the handler but they're used as band-aids and people justifying them as not being painful allows them to continue using them without critically looking at how they are being used to the extent that they need to and again that's just one example because i would also throw draw reins in there and a lot of different types of training aids. People disconnect themselves from the horse's experience and they assume that their experience of that environment is the horse's full experience. So because they can't feel the muscles cramping up from being asked to be carried in a position that the horse is not fit to do for an extended period of time, they assume that the horse isn't feeling anything. And that's disconnecting themselves from the horse's experience. So in my opinion, basically all forms of abuse come from disconnection because I firmly believe that the vast majority of horse people aren't malicious. They don't make decisions being like, I want to cause my horse physical distress. I want to cause my horse pain. They're not going out of their way to put their horse in a negative mental state intentionally, but they do so and then they evade accountability by disconnecting from the situation. And there might be some people that do know exactly what they're doing and do it anyways and are just cruel people but i don't think that speaks for the majority i think the reason why certain types of mistreatment can become so prevalent in the horse world are because of how ingrained these behaviors are and how enabled and justified they are and how from the beginning of our riding careers a lot of us are encouraged to disconnect because you either have the choice of being acutely aware of what's going on and being uncomfortable with the abuse that you see and just letting it bother you and constantly impact your mental health to a large degree, or you have the choice of going into a dissonance that more or less safeguards you from having to admit the extent of abuse in the horse industry and also kind of separates yourself from what you're doing to your horse. And while I still think that there would be underlying discomfort and mental health deficits, because deep down I think these people know that what they're doing is wrong, which is why you tend to see so much reactivity in response to welfare discussion from people, that is. But 
the more favorable of those two decisions when you don't feel like you can effectively actually change the way things are done or you feel like the experts telling you to do xyz no more than you the only real decision that you have to make then is to just be like i'm gonna turn off how i feel and try to shove aside my emotions so that this is less troublesome to me to do and for those of us who started writing as kids this starts very young and I think that people don't notice it happening. It's not like they do this consciously. It's an unconscious decision that is about safeguarding their mental health and trying to make themselves feel better about situations that they aren't necessarily in control of or that they feel out of control of. And since it's not a conscious decision, they don't really have the capacity to reflect on that and be like, oh my gosh, this is what I have done and really get to the bottom of their behavior. So it makes it even easier to double down and insist that they're coming from a knowledgeable place and that there is no dissonance, when oftentimes that's not the case. Like everyone has a certain form of cognitive dissonance when it comes to something, because being super self-aware is really hard to do. It's, it's a really not fun mental state to be in a lot of times, because being aware of how you contribute negatively to your life and other people's lives or the lives of animals around you that you love is not fun. It's not <laughs> enjoyable. It's a lot more enjoyable to downplay problems and not fully take in the wrongs that you commit. And what I want to just add as like a little sidebar here is that you don't have to do things maliciously in order to have negative impact on those around you. Like with human relationships, most people are far more ready to admit that they can make someone have a bad day or make them feel bad about themselves or upset them or anger them and make them feel sad without actually having that be their intent. And we recognize that and we also recognize the fact that it's not maliciously done and you can hold yourself accountable for making someone feel bad without being like, I'm a bad person who did this deliberately, intentionally. But that seems to be largely lost in the horse world where people feel like they either need to double down and defend what they're doing or they have to just be like, I'm an abuser and I'm, I'm abusing my horse and I'm openly choosing to be mean. And they use that excuse as a deflection tactic too. You see it all the time online. When someone points out like, hey, that horse looks stressed or hey, like that doesn't look very comfortable for the horse. It's like, are you saying I abuse my horse? Oh yeah, like he's so abused. He gets fed every day and they, like, they, they mock you and they bring up abuse and kind of use it as a buzzword, which then loses the actual meaning of abuse. And it's a tactic to deflect what's being said by people who are being critical of certain situations. But I think it's also a self-soothing tactic where they are almost like arguing with themselves internally to try to justify their position so they don't have to feel guilt. And I think that that's the driving force behind a lot of people's behavior in the horse world is an attempt to not feel guilty. And that's also why we see lifelong horse people just fully committing and doubling down on certain harmful mindsets to the point where they lash out at anyone who doesn't represent that, even when they are not personally being criticized. An example of this is that I post a lot on my own pages where I discuss a number of different topics and welfare issues in the horse world, but it just goes on my pages. And I'm not 
directly referencing anyone in most cases and when I do it's usually upper level riders but I infuriate a lot of people because they see themselves in what I'm criticizing and then they double down and they go and they personally attack me and say all these condescending and mean things that are far more with the intent to hurt than anything I have said and it's because they see themselves in whatever I'm criticizing there's a guilt response internally, and in order to fight that guilt response, they need to attack me, project their discomfort onto me, and publicly state their stance to try to argue it to themselves. Like, whenever people are arguing with me in the comment section, I don't think they're actually arguing with me. I think they're arguing with their internal compass, because if it was really just about them thinking that I'm totally full of shit and that I don't know what I'm talking about... I don't think they would dedicate as much time as they do to arguing. I think that the intent is to try to buy my support of them and basically try to argue me to the point where I'm like, oh yeah, you're right. Because they're looking for that affirmation from other people. Or they're doing it in hopes that other people will like their comments, other people will comment in agreement with them because they're looking for any affirmation that they can to support their viewpoint so that they can tell themselves, see, I'm not in the wrong. She is. And it's really not about me. So in saying that, I hope that first of all, it makes people feel more comfortable about sharing their thoughts, even if you get personally attacked, because nine times out of 10, when someone's attacking you, it is not about you. It's about whatever they're feeling internally. Um, and I wouldn't let that stop you from speaking out about important topics because I do think it's like a personal issue. And I see this in a lot of stuff outside of the horse world where people have these hyper inflated, very reactive reactions to things that really shouldn't bother them to the extent that it does, especially if they fully believe in the position that they're trying to argue. They really shouldn't be bothered by what I'm saying. And they get to the point where they're being really rude, condescending, personally attacking. And especially if they're older than me, they'll use age as a thing and be like, oh, well, you're young. Like when you're older, you'll understand you're you still have lots to learn. You're inexperienced. You're this, you're that. And it's an attempt to condescend and basically argue to themselves that the amount of years they spent on this earth guarantees righteousness when that is not the case. You can spend a lot of years on the earth being wrong and refusing to grow. And we see a lot of older people doing that. A lot of the most closed-minded, shut-off, and ignorant views that I personally see in and out of the horse world are coming from people who are, like, generally speaking, like 40 plus. So they've had substantially more years on the planet than I have, but they've had less self-reflection capacity to really look at what they're doing and consider if they're wrong. And this isn't to say that I'm perfect and that I have no growth to do because that is like the falsest thing ever, but I do self-reflect a lot. And these last several years, especially, I've had a lot of self-reflection. Like within the last like four or five years, I've had more self-reflection and change and growth than I have had in like a decade prior to that. Just to kind of reiterate the fact that the amount of years that you've lived doesn't equate to being right or having had more growth because people can grow and change more in a few months or a year if they have the catalyst that causes them to do so than what they might have in decades prior to that. So 
time is really not relevant when we're discussing these things because what's most relevant is someone's willingness to change, their exposure to new information and their willingness to considering it and how they use that to grow and change their character. And it's a little bit of a cop-out for people to use age and experience as a reason to condescend, especially in the horse world where I see a lot of the most insightful comments and most apt recognition of abusive tendencies come from people who are newer to the horse world or aren't even horse people because they just have far more of a capacity to recognize wrongs because they haven't been indoctrinated and taught otherwise in the same way. And a lot of trainers and barn owners and horse people use shame-based tactics to make people support them. And this is what we see for anyone who criticizes upper-level riders, for example. A lot of the tactics used are to make you feel small, to make you feel ashamed of yourself so that you stop talking because they don't want to hear your opinion because it upsets people. For example, you've never competed at the upper levels. You're just some dinky little backyard rider and your horses just live in fields being pasture puffs. You don't know anything. And they'll use that to degrade you because to them, that would be one of the worst things someone could say to them is to say that they don't know anything and that they're a nobody because they don't have enough of a show record or their horses aren't fancy enough or they don't keep them in a fancy barn. These are all clear tells of their value system and they're trying to project that value system onto you assuming that you operate by the same value system which in some cases people do and it might hurt and honestly it used to hurt me when people said stuff like that because I used to value myself based off of showing and gearing up to show and like the training and prep for showing that was like what my priority was but during those times, I've realized I wasn't very happy. I wasn't very fulfilled because I was operating off of other people's value systems rather than my own. And so I've changed the way I, I respond to things. Like that's one of the least bad things someone can say to me is insulting the fact that I haven't ridden at upper levels because one, I can logically look at it and go... Me competing in Grand Prix dressage or in the Grand Prix show jumping ring would not make me more able to understand horse welfare and behavior. It's my studies that have done that. It's me educating myself through science-based information that has brought me that. Competing in the competition ring wouldn't bring me any of that. It would just take me into an environment where I'm more likely to be surrounded by stressed horses and thereby more likely to view it as normal behavior because so many horses are doing it. And unless I really worked hard outside of that to educate myself on horse behavior, I'd probably be drawn into that crowd. And I think that's also been what's most correlated with when I doubled down and denied a lot of the stuff that I now accept as fact. It was because I was showing and my horses were guilty of a lot of the stuff that was being criticized. And in order to acknowledge the information that I was being given, I'd have to admit that I was complicit in causing my horse stress and I wasn't ready to do that at the time. Um, and that's the case that a lot of people are in. And like I said, it goes far deeper than the horse world, this, love, this disconnection, because it's disconnection from each other as well. Like even online is a great example. People can be way meaner online than what they would ever be comfortable doing in person. They'll say truly terrible things to strangers that they don't know and they'll dedicate in some cases hours and days or even years to shredding people that they don't like online and just reveling in that negativity 
when they would not do that in person. They wouldn't have the guts to walk up to these people that they were, are willingly shredding in the comment sections or in their DMs. They wouldn't walk up to those people in person and do the same thing because they don't actually have the confidence to do it. The only thing that is giving them the confidence is being behind a computer screen because it gives them a level of anonymity, anonymity, I can't say that, um, that they don't have in person and it makes it more comfortable for them. So once again, it's a disconnection from the person's sense of self, from the person you're attacking being an actual person. You view them more as like a product or like, um, just some face online and not a real person. You don't comment these nasty things thinking like maybe they've just experienced loss in their life. Maybe they have an abusive partner. Maybe they have severe mental health issues. Maybe their day-to-day -day life is really hard. You're not commenting these mean things while considering all of the aspects of life that this person could be struggling with currently. You dehumanize them and you take away those sense of self in order to be able to say the things that are mean without fully considering the person's perspective. And I've been online as an influencer with a relatively decent following for a number of years now. And I see people doing that to me all the time. They look at what I post online and they assume that my life is super easy, that it's great, that I have it so easy, that I'm so privileged and that I'm just, I, I'm, I'm really self-absorbed and that I only talk about horse welfare because I always want to be right and I just want to tell everyone I'm better than them and da 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 and that's a projection because they don't feel like they are good enough so they look at what I am posting and they view it from a lens of me criticizing them because I think I'm better they view it from a lens of me putting myself on a pedestal because I think I'm better than them when really the reason why I talk about all this welfare stuff and this mental health stuff is because I haven't been better I'm guilty of 99% of the stuff that I now criticize and the reason why I'm so outspoken about it is because I recognize that there's a lot of kind-hearted people who want to do right by their horses that have just been led so massively astray that they need to be reached somehow. And while a lot of people look at my content and won't be reached and it'll just piss them off, I might reach some people or I might plant a seed of doubt that grows into a forest eventually, even if it takes years, because that's what people did to me online, where I would see things that I would vehemently disagree with, but it made me start to question stuff over years. And over time, those doubts piled up to the point where I eventually made the shift that I have now and that I'm still currently making because it's a never ending journey. But people will dehumanize those that they don't know and those that they don't agree with and they'll paint this entire narrative about this person that they've never met and just decide that they're doing like they'll decide the motivation behind their actions um and in some cases you can reasonably do that like if someone's going around and saying like and just degrading people and like personally attacking their appearance you could assume that they're probably insecure, but you could also just go, that's not nice. I don't think you're a very nice person. And that would be a fair take to have because you're looking at them doing something unnecessary and mean, and that's the assessment that you've made. But you cannot make full claims about who they are as a person off of that. That's just an outlet for whatever the catalyst leading them to do that is. It's just an outlet. Like behavior is the result of an underlying motivation. A lot of people who are degrading others online and who are being mean probably don't feel very good about themselves or they lack control in their own life and that's a way that they can enact control and try to make other people feel as bad as they do and again i'm not going to assume 
what their exact life is or why they feel that way. But it's a fairly educated guess, guess to come to that conclusion, first of all, because of psychological studies. Um, and secondly, because I used to do the same thing where I would be way more jaded and I'd view everything through a way more negative lens because I was feeling so insecure and bad about myself that I projected that onto everyone else around me. And starting to become more self-aware and realizing that has been freeing because then I understand the motivation behind some of my behaviors and I can start to shut it off. And I do get a lot of compassion fatigue, to be quite honest, especially right now. I feel exhausted. I feel frustrated. I feel devastated with the situation in the horse world and also the level of inhumanity that I see outside of the horse world and it sucks and sometimes I get so frustrated that like I just like revel in the negativity where people are posting nasty comments and I'll just be trying to change their perspective when it's probably not going to do anything because I just see how their mindset harms so many people without them realizing it and I just try to repeat myself over and over again to try to reach them when it's like pointless wasted energy a lot of the time and it's exhausting it really is like every time I see like an abuse scandal for horses get blown up on the internet and then go look at the comments and see people finding ways to defend it it's just terrible and exhausting to watch like it just it, it gives me such a bad feeling because it's like how are we going to bring change if people are willing to go to these lengths to justify such clear and apparent forms of abuse? And I don't really know the answer to that, but the reason why I keep posting and talking about these things and why I don't let people being mean to me silence my voice is that I know that if I weren't to say anything, that's not going to help the situation anymore, even if my words are completely worthless and don't change anyone's opinion. Not putting them out there is guaranteed to not change opinions because I'm not sharing my thoughts. I'm not helping anyone who might share similar perspectives feel less alone. I'm not potentially saying something in a way that might reach someone who other who prior to that was unreachable. So not saying anything doesn't get me ahead. And the way I see it is even if the world stays how it is and nothing changes, at the very least, I can feel good about myself for trying to make a difference. And this is also the thing where it's like when people are being mean to me and they try to make claims about why I engage in the advocacy I do. Like I've had a bunch of people claim it's for marketing purposes, it's to get attention, it's for following and all of these things, which kind of laughable. I'll admit it's a little funny because it is not profitable to be controversial and this is why most major brands and upper level equestrians and people like that do not rock the boat. They don't engage in controversial discussion because by default, being neutral gets you more customers. And this is also why a lot of the people who have the greatest following in the horse world are competitive show riders or people who just post their own thing and don't say anything controversial that might make people feel bad about themselves. And it's also why global brands don't take stances on controversial issues, generally speaking, because it doesn't get them further ahead. So for people to try to claim that to me, I find a little bit funny. And it also is telling because it shows that their motivation for doing a lot of things is for the approval of others in one way or another. So I think that it's a projection. Like a lot of accusations people make are actually confessions for themselves 
in my opinion, because they're saying things that it's like, you came up with this because that's what you expect from people or that's what you would do yourself. And that's not why I do anything I do because I could make more money and I could be more popular by not rocking the boat at all. But I wouldn't feel good about myself if I was noticing all of these problems that really deeply morally bother me internally and just not saying anything and just watching it happen and in some ways being complicit because I'm not saying anything and I'm not speaking out and then I make the space more comfortable for abusive tendencies by not noticing them. Like, refusing to acknowledge abuse helps an abuser just as much as being an abuser yourself does because they're reliant on people not calling them out on their behavior. They're reliant on maintaining a certain degree of hidden tendencies that people don't point out and just having people allow it to happen. So that's why I speak out. And people will accuse me of all these different things in an attempt to silence my voice because it makes them uncomfortable and really everything they say is about them it's about their internal discomfort and has nothing to do with me so i hope that helps resonate with some people who might want to speak out but are concerned about the backlash because the other thing that i would like to say is that yes you're going to lose friends you might even alienate family members you might alienate yourself from peers at your barn Um, and other people in your life by speaking out and saying things that they don't want to hear. But what it will result in, even if you have a lonely period to follow, is you're going to find your true crowd of people that most align with your views and that make you feel good about yourself. So while it's a loss in the beginning, you actually gain so much more by maintaining your integrity and connecting yourself with people who are as compassionate and empathetic as you and care about the same issues. So that's kind of what I have done. And like, I, I have lost friends. I have made people in the horse community locally uncomfortable to the point where they really don't like me. But with that said, there's been a few people over the years who have really vehemently disagreed with me that will later come back and reconnect with me after they've had a change in heart, which is also super rewarding. But I've also made some of the best friends that I've ever had in doing stuff like this. And it's been freeing and it's also gotten me out of situations with like significant others who really didn't align with my social views and who I saw the best in for so long but they weren't actually that and what it's made me realize is that a lot of the best qualities that I find in people especially people that I date are created by me what I end up falling in love with is my idea of them and seeing the potential that they have and seeing the good parts of their heart that are there, but then trying to make justifications for all the parts that aren't so good, like all the inconsiderate parts, all the toxic parts, all the way that they, ways that they hurt me. I continue to give them the benefit of the doubt on the assumption that they wouldn't do these things deliberately to be hurtful, but then they keep doing it. So the forgiveness and the good that I see in them all comes from me. And the capacity to forgive, I think, is actually something that's more beautiful about myself than it is the other person. And I've learned that a lot of people who have caused me the most grief in my life, who I thought were good people, the beauty that I saw in them came from within within myself. And that's kind of led me to appreciating myself and my own perspective on the world more and 
be more grateful for the fact that I care so much about these things and I see potential in people, but I also have to safeguard and protect myself because people who keep taking and taking from you and who don't consider your emotions to the extent that you consider yours can deplete your energy and it can result in you becoming disconnected from the world. And that's just something that I've found. And this also goes back into current social issues because like to just reiterate and really drive home the point that nothing I do is for the purpose of marketing and gaining followers and a lot of the times even when I suggest things like that it's to troll people um, like in some cases it's true that the hate comments boost my posts more than fans do because fans aren't so angry that they comment like 300 comments arguing back and forth and you can bait people who don't like you into boosting your post which can be beneficial but it also doesn't really gain you followers and when people vehemently hate you, they're not going to, like, support your brand. If they're indifferent towards you, they will. Or if they like you, they will. But if they vehemently hate you, they're going to go out of their way to not support your brand and to also tell other people not to support it. So um, staying neutral makes you more palatable to people. But all of that aside, what hap what's happened recently, like, outside of the horse world with stuff that I've done... Um, is in relation to what's been going on in Palestine. And I admittedly was super ignorant about what, what's been going on over the last several years until all of this stuff started to go down in early October. I had no idea what was going on. And I was seeing how contentious the arguments were online and how many people were like, you need to do your research and this or that. So then I did my research. I looked into the history on it. I asked people that I know that have actually lived in that general vicinity, what their experience was. And I looked into all of the historical events that have occurred. And then I drew my own conclusions from that. And I followed people who were well-versed on the topic. I followed journalists that are on the floor in the midst of things recording it and I chose to kind of err in favor of their side rather than um, mainstream media because this is another thing I've noticed is mainstream media really only truthfully tells things that support the interest of its sponsors and they omit a lot of information or deliberately lie in order to support their largest sponsors. And we also see this in the horse world where there's a certain level of bias given towards the elite by these mainstream media sources. So you can't really trust them as a truthful source. But anyways, back to the topic. I did my research and I learned as much as I could about it before really taking a stance on it. Um, and even still, this is an example of people making assumptions about you, whether it's because of your action or inaction. Like I had a few people say that I support genocide because I hadn't spoken out on something yet, which I understand. It can be really frustrating to have influencers that you respect who engage in advocacy that stay silent during these times. And now that I have looked into it, there are a couple of influencers that I've been really disappointed in not seeing them say anything. But with that said, at the same time, 
if you speak too early about something and you don't have a full grasp on the situation or you don't at least have a relatively decent grasp on a situation, you can end up having a very biased and uneducated perspective. And then people are even more mad about that. They're mad about you spreading misinformation and they're mad about you taking a stance that you haven't actually looked into. So I waited um, and didn't make an official statement right away because I didn't know enough and I wanted to make sure that I really was aware of where like how I felt about the entire situation before doing anything because when it comes to advocacy too you need to be personally invested in that advocacy in my opinion in order for it to be really meaningful and good you need to be impassioned by anger and frustration and unease with what's going on to the point where it causes you to jump into action um so then when I finally made my speech, um, I lost like hundreds of followers. And if I was valuing a following to the extent where that would bother me, it would be a problem. And like, I'm sure I lost business too from people who don't support that. But to be honest, like the discourse that I received in return just reaffirmed my position on everything in a similar way to what the horse welfare discourse does. Um, because all I see are people just doubling down in their disconnection from the plight of people and animals around them. Like, it was really stomach-turning to watch people that took any show of compassion towards Palestinians as a personal attack on all Jewish people, even if there was no sentiment that was even anti-Jewish person at all. Even if all you were saying is, these people are suffering, they've been getting bombed for many consecutive days, people are injured, they've lost their houses, they've lost family members, there's people missing under the rubble, this is terrible. And then people would take that as a personal attack and then be like, oh, so you support terrorism. And in seeing that, it radicalized me more because there's nothing that makes propaganda more visible and in your face than people drawing such a divisive line that they view any compassion directed at what has been labeled the problematic side, regardless of evidence of that. Because if you look at the history, it's very clear what's happened. Um, but they view any compassion towards those people as an attack on them. And also then what you see is that people have labeled an entire population of people, predominantly children, as terrorists, which is one, racist and very prejudiced, but it also shows the degree of propaganda that they've consumed because there's nowhere on this planet, no matter how right-wing and military-focused, where every single person is guilty of the same views, where every single person holds the same level of hatred towards XYZ, and where every single person is a bad person. There is no place on this planet that is like that. Humans can't agree on the most basic things, assuming that an entire population of over 2 million people would be radicalized to such a point that they all hold the same view and they all enact in terrorism is absolutely insane to me. And the level of dehumanization I've seen from people who I thought were feeling and kind people and how they just shrug off the deaths of children based off of their nationality while hyperinflating the value of the lives of other people based on their nationality. And this, again, all comes down to the disconnection because they're disconnecting from the plight of a population of people simply based off of where they were born and simply based off of the opinion of the oppressor. And 
people might unfollow me for this as well. But what I want to reiterate is I'm biracial. My dad's black. Um, for those of you who didn't know, during the slave revolts and during the time of the Civil War where freedom was being attempted to give be given to slaves, all it well, I'm not going to say all because I can't speak for but I'll say most, most attempts by the slaves to fight back against their slave masters and most attempts by people who were white and were not slaves to try to free slaves were viewed as acts of terrorism. The resistance from this group of people was labeled as terrorism by the people oppressing them because that made it the most easy to create a level of fear that would result in their dehumanization and thereby justify their captivity. And we see the same thing happening today. The same thing happened to Indigenous people. When we were colonizing Canada and the U.S., Indigenous people were labeled as bloodthirsty, cruel, murderous people who were said to be attacking settlers for no reason, even though they were defending their land. They were labeled as these people who you needed to be afraid of, which then justified their eradication and their genocide, despite the fact that the people who were actually being the bloodthirsty, terroristic people were the settlers, the colonizers, the people coming into their land and forcibly trying to strip it away from them while systemically abusing them. And the reason why we see the oppressive forces creating this narrative is because it works. You can see it happening in real time. There's people who say that they're pro-life. There's people who were on the All Lives Matter train during Black Lives Matter that are now taking any compassion for all lives as a personal attack and a statement against all Israeli people and a justification for the murder of innocent civilians in Israel. They're taking any compassion towards Palestinians as that, which effectively proves they never meant all lives matter. All they were trying to do is deflect away from black lives and make things about themselves because they have internalized racism that they are projecting in that manner while denying that it exists. And same thing with people who are pro-life and want to make abortion illegal and want to deprive women of choice. A lot of the people that I see justifying continued bombing of Palestinian children have been anti-abortion in the past, have been what they would call pro-lifers, but they have substantially proven they're not actually pro-life. They're just pro-birth, but only really of certain demographics of people that they can oppress because they don't seem to care when they're bombing pregnant women in Palestine and condoning that. Um, and what I also find interesting is how things are only labeled as terrorism, usually if the other side is a person of color or at least darker skin tone than the side that is attacking them. You very seldom see Western militias labeled as terrorists, despite the fact that we have a lengthy track record of entering Middle Eastern countries and murdering their people against their will when we're not wanted there. And if you reverse the roles and people did that to us, it would be viewed as terrorism. And this isn't to downplay what happened on 9-11, but that was viewed as one of the most terrible terrorist acts of all time. And I think somewhere like 1,500 people died. And any death is horrible, not downplaying it. But the U.S. went into the Middle East and killed far more people than that, like civilians, with their armies. And for whatever reason, the narrative they have created about that doesn't view it as terrorism. So... Why I want to talk about disconnection is that we've disconnected from how our actions impact other people and what they actually stand for. And 
Canada is not guilt-free. So this isn't me just slamming the U.S. military because all militaries are going to have people who do really messed up shit, regardless of whether or not it's all of them. But there's these oppressive forces that stem from Western culture that oppress primarily people of color and justify their murder and their occupation and their displacement and their torture and their mistreatment and their dehumanization all while trying to not be perceived as terrorists and this might be getting too controversial for people stop listening if this bothers you but what i have learned from what i have witnessed in the last while and also from what i've learned from indigenous voices um and people and also from like my black culture is that Usually the people pointing fingers and calling other people terrorists are actually the terrorists because terrorism is such a strong word that invokes such fear that it immediately causes the masses to justify the destruction of what is labeled as terrorists, regardless of whether or not it's justified. And a lot of that stems from Western culture. And while Israel is in the Middle East, they are like an extension of the U.S. and Canada because of how much they're funded from both of those countries. Um, and... Again, this is all public knowledge and it's no secret that there has been a 75-year occupation of Palestine and a gradual acquisition of more and more of their land against the treaties that were initially signed. And even just to create Israel, there was a mass displacement of the indigenous population as people settled. So the amount of Palestinian people that have been murdered over the last 75 years far exceeds anything that has happened in a quote-unquote terrorist attack on the part of Hamas. Um, and that's just a fact. In my opinion, and in the opinion of a lot of people who are currently protesting what's going on, the actions of the Israeli military are way more in line with terrorism than anything that has been done in the resistance movement. And again, this is not to justify deaths on October 7th. Any loss of civilians is a tragedy because civilians don't have complete control over what their government does. Even when they vote them into power, they don't necessarily know how their government is going to react to attacks or how they're like what their plans are military wise. They don't know. So they're like an innocent party that is caught in the middle of everything. And it's wrong regardless. Like, people shouldn't be dying. But with that in mind, we need to kind of look at this from the standpoint of, like, there's abuse and then there's also reactive abuse. Reactive abuse still is technically wrong because you're still hurting people. Um, but it's in response to systemic abuse that has occurred over a period of time. And this is also what we tend to see with the occupation and displacement of Indigenous people, regardless of where they're from is reactive abuse because they try to do things peacefully for long enough and then that doesn't work because they're not working with a population of people that is open to reason. The population of people displacing them just wants their land. And then they have to resort to violence. Uh, and there's some quotes from Nelson Mandela who is viewed as like one of the most peaceful people in history where he says that in like resistance, you try to do peace and no violence for as long as possible, but when all else fails, then you must respond with violence. And 
this like you have to get louder and even in protest if it's not necessarily violent protest protests that have resulted in huge systemic change like such as the suffragettes movement getting the women's right to vote they couldn't be peaceful to the point where they inconvenienced no one upset no one and didn't cause any problems you need to create problems in order to push the governments to change their minds and again it doesn't justify civilians being targeted because i still think that's wrong but we seriously need to look at how freely and easily people justify the murders of innocent civilians on either side, even if they think their country is responding to a terrorist attack, versus the responses of a resistance movement. Because it it, it should be a no-brainer. And also, like if we want to get down to the nitty-gritty, people in Palestine haven't been able to vote since 2006, which is now 17 years ago. So that means that many of the people alive today wouldn't have been able to vote back then because they would have been too young. Someone who is like 16 or 17 could be in their 30s now and never have voted. And people are justifying these people's systemic murder and totally missing out on the point that there is usually resource-related motivations when countries try to overtake each other. And there's a lot of oil in Gaza and there's a canal system that they want to build for trade purposes so there's a lot of money involved and there's also already things being done to try to source out the oil reserves there despite the fact that the territory does not yet belong to israel so i know this is deviated from horse talk but it's just about the dehumanization of people and it's been really upsetting to me to see the level of dehumanization palestinians have been subjected to since october 7th but also long before that i for giving tuesday which is like just two days ago um i chose a palestinian children's charity to donate to and people freaked out. They started accusing me of not valuing all children. They said that I hate, like, Israeli children and that, like, I don't like Jewish people. And they said that I'm supporting Hamas and, like, came up with all of these arguments to try to argue why I shouldn't donate to Palestinian children, despite the fact that Israel's getting billions of dollars worth of funding from the U.S. and also millions from Canada. And that... If you just look at the stats for this war, they aren't under the same level of siege as Gaza is. They're not experiencing the same level of loss. So I chose a population of people that I felt to be in need. And it's being framed as a selfish decision that somehow projects hatred on another population, despite the fact that if I'd chosen any other charity like let's say i chose a breast cancer charity do you think people would be commenting on my post and be like oh so you hate people with colon cancer or what about people with skin cancer or pancreatic cancer um what about them like you you clearly hate them and just want them to die people wouldn't do that but it's the exact same concept giving to one charity doesn't mean that you hate all other charities it doesn't mean that you don't care about the plight of other people in need it just means that that's a charitable donation you've selected at that one point and i've selected a number of different charities to donate to over this last year and 
it's only being framed that way because there's such a divisive line that has been drawn where people have completely dehumanized the entire Palestinian population. Like you see people online gloating about the death of them, mocking their demise, mocking Palestinian children on TikTok, like even people within the IDF filming videos to make fun of Palestinian children in schools that they have bombed. That level of disconnect from humanity and dehumanization is a disease. That is what is wrong with the world because it has resulted in people being so callous and uncaring that they can deliberately engage in the abuse of other people without batting an eye. And it is sick. It's so sick to watch because I'm someone that cares about everyone. I can acknowledge the fact that what happened on October 7th is horrible, but that hasn't been repeated again and again for 50 plus days. So it should go without saying why people are focusing on the population that is still being besieged, occupied, and mistreated. And it's the same with any issue. People focus on issues that are continuing to be replicated rather than things that are largely one-off occasions or things that haven't continued to be a pervasive issue over time. And that's what I'm doing with my platforms, but like the lack of humanity and the level of dehumanization that I'm seeing and how many harsh divisions it's drawn between populations of people and how it even makes people that on paper seem like nice, good, kind people, how it makes them quickly turn. Because I've seen how quickly People that I once respected and as good people and thought were empathetic feeling people who cared about everyone. How quickly they write me off as a person and how quickly they drag me simply for saying I would like a ceasefire, a permanent ceasefire, which applies to both sides. So I don't even see why that's controversial. It's just saying let's stop killing people. Um, but that aside, like I've said that to a few people who I've respected and then they turned around and called me anti-Semitic. They said that I'm Hitler. They said that I'm like a Nazi, um, which first of all is just factually incorrect because fascism is quite opposite of um, being like a pacifist. And it kind of downplays what those abusive entities actually did. But having someone that you respected and that you thought valued you and cared about you as a person send you a vitriolic essay about how you are a genocidal Nazi for wanting a ceasefire really changes your perspective on the situation because if it's someone who's been that close to you and has been that aligned and supportive of you literally until you take a stance on that. Um, it speaks for how quickly people are able to dehumanize and label and other the other people like they they other the other side they say like you are separate from me i don't care about you at all anymore screw you you're a terrible person and it really doesn't take anything because it's one thing if you're like yeah let's just kill everyone like fuck everyone i don't care about human lives if that was being said that would be a fair sentiment but stuff that's actually related to peace and trying to find long-term solutions being framed as a hateful sentiment when the people who are framing it as such are the ones that are condoning the bombing and murder of an entire population of people is the most skewed bullshit disconnected dehumanizing view that you could possibly have because all of the accusations that those people are making are actually more applicable to them and it's insane to me um Another thing that I've noticed is that people are also willing to completely discard 
Jewish people's identity based off of whether or not they stand with Israel. Israel's a country. It's a nationality. It's not your identity. Like some people might use it as an identity, but someone can be Jewish without being pro-Israel. And I've seen a lot of people telling other Jewish people that they're a fake Jew or a self-hating Jewish person because of them wanting a ceasefire. And not only is that robbing someone of a crucial part of their identity, it's also labeling their behavior as being entirely motivated by self-hatred when that's not the case. And it's dehumanizing that person and trying to remove a core part of their identity simply because they don't support the actions of a government. And like, I don't identify with my government here in Canada. I don't think that they represent me as a person necessarily in some cases maybe they do but i don't think that they generally speaking do i don't identify as being canadian in the sense that i'm like raw rawing my country and in complete support of their every decision just because i live here um and it wouldn't offend me for people to rightfully criticize the actions of canada when they're harmful to marginalized groups of people it's a fair criticism People criticize the Canadian government all the time for the lack of action for missing Indigenous women and the lack of action for Indigenous people in general because they represent such a huge portion of our prison population and it's because of how we've oppressed them. Residential schools only closed in 1996, which is my birth year, and that's not that long ago. There's a lot of people who are still alive that remember the horrors of that or there's a lot of people that are definitively still alive that were raised by people who were woefully abused in residential schools and we are currently watching one of these systems happen on live tv and in real time and people are supporting it and what i encourage people to consider is that when abuse is ongoing and it's currently justified by a generous portion of people it's not necessarily going to be obviously apparent to you how unjust it is. Like, the reason why residential schools and that level of abuse and dehumanization of Indigenous people was able to happen for so long is because the general population didn't see a problem with it. Or at the bare minimum, they didn't speak up. They were apathetic towards it and they didn't really say anything. And that's why it was able to continue. I think it's so dangerous that people think that they're so with it that they would be able to definitively notice when they're being propagandized and notice when there's human rights violations rampantly occurring to the point where like they would be able to respond in the way that is needed to really make systemic change because guaranteed people responded to prior abuses like what happened in residential school schools in the same apathetic or worse supportive way as what we're seeing right now and that's what enables that type of behavior and it's so frustrating to see people disconnect from the reality of that because we're watching this happen in real time and what i can almost guarantee people is unless the government completely goes super right-wing and fascist a couple decades from now, hopefully way sooner than that, people are going to reflect on what's been happening in recent days and be absolutely appalled. It's going to be viewed as a dark stain on history and people are going to look back on it the same way that they have other genocides and go, how could this have happened? Especially when social media is so big and people were actively viewing what's happened. How could this have happened? And the answer is going to be because people were apathetic, because people were hateful, because people allowed themselves to be so divided that they dehumanized an entire population of people, including children, who didn't get to choose where they live 
People are born where they're born, and they largely have no choice in the matter unless they choose to move somewhere. But even then, choosing to move somewhere doesn't mean that you foresee the problems you might run into in living there. It's just the situate. It's the cards that you draw. And people living in certain areas doesn't mean that they're more deserving of cruelty and mistreatment. And also the situation that's going on in the Middle East isn't the only situation that's causing mass displacement and murder of people. We're also seeing issues going on in Sudan and the Congo where people are still being enslaved and they're being murdered and they're being displaced to the tune of several millions so that we can get cobalt for our phone batteries. And the Western media is burying these issues because it is profitable and convenient to them for us to continue to ignore them. They love nothing more than people either openly supporting them or ignoring what's going on and just trying to go about their day-to-day -day lives. They love nothing more than that because it enables them. And what I cannot stress enough is the people who seek the most to benefit from this, like the elite, the rich of the rich, like not even just like rich, like the exceptionally wealthy they don't care about the everyday person. They don't care about our well-being. They'll pretend to when it's convenient for them, but they don't really care, which is why they're able to dehumanize people to this extent. So why we seek to protect such types of people over people who are marginalized and being targeted is completely beyond me. I don't understand it. It is so exceptionally frustrating to watch unfold and it's just devastating. And it's also frustrating to me that I was largely unaware of the extent of what was going on, like especially the Congo, it was my first time hearing about it at all in like October. I had no idea because it's not being covered by mainstream media. If it wasn't for social media, I would be completely in the dark about the vast majority of these issues. And that is appalling because we don't just deserve to be comfortable just because we were lucky enough to be born in Western society. And we have the comfort and ability to advocate for people who are substantially less comfortable than us without it inconveniencing or discomforting us too much. And we could change their lives. We could change the entire course of their lives. We could change history for generations simply by caring enough about these people to give them a voice, to share their story, to tell people what's going on, to not let Western media bury it to hold our governments accountable for directly participating in these things. Because if they're willing to do this to people outside of the country, it says something about what they're willing to do to human beings. And the fact that people think that it's so separate that this could never happen to us is also really idealistic. If a government has the ability to oppress a population of people and mistreat them to this degree, and also fire, silence, and hold accountable anyone who tries to speak out about the injustices being done, then there's a good chance they'd be willing to do it to you. So what I encourage everyone with this is to not wait until you're an affected population until you care. Because guaranteed, when you are the victim of injustice, you are going to want people who are in a more safe position and a more powerful position to speak out and advocate for you. And we need to be willing to do that for other people. I also think what's going on now sets a precedent for the future. If governments realize that we're willing to ignore this degree of mistreatment and this degree of cruelty towards populations of people, it sets a precedent that they can get away with more than that. That we're so apathetic that they can push and get away with more than that. And 
subdue a population of people with fake news. Um, don't mean to sound like Donald Trump in saying that, but like subdue a population of people with propaganda and eventually have them wear out and stop caring about important issues and just go back to being easy to control. It sets a precedent for what they can do in the future because already we're seeing it. We've had both the U.S. and Canada tell people that they can't afford to lower grocery prices, that they can't afford to lower gas costs, that they can't afford to house homeless people and provide more means of social funds to help people in need. They've said all these things and while doing so they've sent millions and billions of dollars off to other countries to bomb marginalized people. So the money is there. They just think we're so fucking stupid that we're not going to do anything about it. They are playing us all for fools and doing so so blatantly and just banking on the fact that we're all going to be fighting amongst ourselves or following their propaganda to the point where we deny what's actually going on, that we're, that we're not going to step up and do anything about it. And it drives me crazy. And it's the same thing in the horse world. People don't want to speak out about welfare and make necessary changes, but then if the horse world were to go under and lose its social license, then they would want everyone to care and they'd be trying to offer all of these things they could do to benefit horse welfare and be like, we will change, we'll do all these things just to keep the horse industry going. Don't wait until you're backed against a freaking wall before you act and speak out on injustice. Don't wait until you feel like you have no other option until you speak out on injustice. Don't wait until you're personally impacted before you speak out on injustice. Disconnection is a disease. If you can disconnect yourself to the plight of other people to the point of being able to be aware of their struggle and not care... You're putting yourself in a position where when you eventually become the victim at some point, be it in this life or another one, you're probably going to regret your actions. You're going to regret the fact that no one spoke out, that you didn't speak out for other people when no one speaks out for you. And what I see largely are the people who are the most vocal are people of color who have experienced some level of mistreatment and injustice themselves. The protests for these things are largely people of color going and other Jewish people who don't agree with what's going on. And the MPs that have spoken out largely are people of color. So it says something about our society if it has to be people who've been personally impacted by systemic injustice before they actually care enough to speak out. I encourage everyone to exercise their position of privilege because if you're able to listen to this podcast in the first place, you're in a position of privilege. Just use your voice. Just educate yourself on the topic. Just email your members of parliament and tell them that you're not okay with their decisions. Just share stuff online. Amplify the voices of people who are being personally impacted. Amplify the voices of people who are speaking out about these things. Just do literally the bare minimum is just sharing other people's voices to draw attention to the situation. That takes very little work and it'll pay off in the end because you'll feel like a better person when you realize the full degree of how bad these horrors are because what we're hearing, as bad as it is, is going to be a fraction of what's actually happened. It's not going to be the full story. It's not going to be the full extent of the horrors. We're only seeing a fraction of it. We're seeing a tiny portion and don't wait and then regret later on in life when you realize that you stayed silent during something that impacted people to a degree that was unprecedented to you. 
use your voice. Don't wait until it's too late. Again, this is why I speak this is why I speak out about so many different issues. This is why I'm so vocal about horse welfare improvement because I know the direction that the industry is going to be heading if we don't make change, it's going to cancel it's going to get canceled. I would prefer that we change and make needed changes before that before we're forced to make the ultimate change and lose everything that we've known. And similarly, I would prefer to see change and the world work to a more peaceful solution than exterminate entire population of people. And the other thing to know is that dropping bombs is not good for the environment. We are currently in a climate crisis, so even if you don't give a fuck about anybody else but yourself, you should care for yourself from the extent that we are currently polluting the earth way quicker when we've already been told by climate scientists again and again that we are running out of time to make needed change. And our governments are also ignoring us about that because they would rather make money. And they're going to be the types of people who are going to take things to the point where the planet is dying and it's no longer sustainable to live. And they're personally finally being impacted because they can't just throw money at it to remove themselves from a situation. They're going to wait till it gets to that point to actually care. And at that point, it'll be too late. So don't let them do that. Speak out, use your voice, hold people accountable because there's no shortage of ways that this is going to impact everyone. The entire human species is interconnected in some way and other people's traumas will become ours if we don't set a precedent that we don't stand for this type of mistreatment. We can make a difference in the lives of people and animals worldwide. Just speak out. If you're interested in what news stations to follow to learn more about this and what um, independent journalists to follow. I've done a couple posts on Instagram where you can go and click and I've tagged a ton of people that you can go follow. Um, and you can just go check that out. I'm currently fundraising on both Instagram and my Facebook for multiple war relief, um, charities and you can check those out too and you can share them. You can also share your own charity on Instagram or your Facebook and try to get other people involved. And yeah, just keep yourself in the loop. I know it's really hard and compassion fatigue is real and you also need to take care of yourself, but apathy will come back to bite us all in the ass if we don't make needed changes and start to create a better world for generations to come. The world is going to collapse and we're going to be our own demise if we cannot start to learn how to exist more peacefully, both with each other the animals in the environment, and nature as a whole. It'll be our own demise. And it's just a matter of if we actually have to wait until our doom is right in our face to care or if we're going to be smart enough to care at a time where we can actually fix it. So sorry for going off on that rant. Um, free Palestine, free Sudan, free Congo, free everyone who is being systemically erased and having their voice erased and being targeted and having their lives destroyed largely by Western countries. So for those of us in the in Canada and the US, we are complicit in this. And same with like the UK. We're all complicit by way of our taxes being put towards these things. And unless we start to care enough to pressure our governments, it's not going to change. And for people who think that there's no point, like they never listen, like it doesn't do anything. No, your voice matters. One voice adds a drop in the bucket. And when you add hundreds of thousands or millions of those voices, it matters. The ceasefire, the temporary ceasefire that's now over that has happened is the result of protesting. The 
women's right to vote is the result of protesting. A lot of change in the world is the result of protesting and people refusing to allow their voices to be ignored. So your voice matters. Do not let anyone convince you that it doesn't. It does. And the more people speaking out on issues, the better. So please, please, please do this. Use your voice for good. Even if you start off small, if you're worried about backlash, start off small. Start off just by educating yourself on certain topics. Start off by sharing a post or two every now and then. Just do some, start off by showing up at a protest and wearing a mask so no one sees who you are. Hide your identity by putting your hair inside of a hat. I don't know. Start small, but try to continue to get involved because we need to do something about the current world situations. Otherwise, we're all going to be doomed. The human race is diseased. Disconnection is disease. And we need to stop it. Otherwise, we are going to dig. We're already digging our own graves, but we are going to speed up the process of getting there. And I really don't want to see that happen. I really want to start to resolve things in a way that is beneficial to all people. Because even the people who don't agree with social resources and like community resources and helping people in need and they have the mindset of like everyone should have to work to earn what they have, they will indirectly benefit by healing all aspects of society. Everybody will, whether they realize it or not. So thank you for listening to my podcast and have a great day.